You're listening to the Samuel Angel, and my daddy is the host. All right, uh, special thanks to my daughter for the introduction. Uh, my name is Rick Crawford, and I am the host of the Sustainable Angler Podcast. So I'm stoked to share this interview with you on today's episode. I have Wes Carter, who is the president at Atlantic Packaging and founder of A New Earth Project. Uh, you may remember Wes from episode 39 when he was just launching A New Earth Project. And since then, Wes and his team have been busy revolutionizing the sustainable packaging industry. In this interview, we discuss everything from consumers increasingly demanding sustainability from brands, trends in sustainable packaging, and some innovative solutions such as packaging made from mushrooms and seaweed that Atlantic Packaging and a New Earth Project are bringing to market. Be sure to check out uh, my website, thesustainableangler.com, to read my weekly blog post, get caught up on previous episodes, and stay tuned as I will be releasing some brand new uh, merchandise this spring. The Sustainable Angler is available anywhere you listen to podcasts and is now airing Saturdays at 2 p.m. on Charleston's first and only community-supported radio station, Home Radio 96.3 FM. Sustainable Angler is brought to you by Emerger Strategies and a New Earth Project, the sustainability initiative of Atlantic Packaging. We set out with a New Earth Project to really start a movement. It's a global coalition of people who are deeply concerned and want to accelerate the transition away from problematic packaging to more sustainable solutions. Our entire value proposition was built uh, on helping companies package things better. We were doing sustainability before sustainability was cool. We just called it packaging optimization. And packaging optimization really is about using less. And we built our whole business on that. You know, people send us their products, their goods, and we help them design packaging systems and solutions for the least possible cost, utilizing the least amount of material. Use less is always the right answer. And that's what I see with companies like a New Earth Project is it's like we're just trying to create solutions for big companies, big companies and small, that makes it easier for them, cheaper for them, whatever it is, and then has less impact. Not just trying to tell people you should have less impact and making the choice forced on them. Like make it better for everybody and it'll make it better for the whole world. We see the problem and we are with you. Emerger Strategies helps our clients transform their businesses from a take-make-waste business model to an environmentally restorative and socially just business model, all while boosting profitability. If you're a business owner who's interested in transforming your company, you can take the first step by completing Emerger Strategies' free, simple sustainability assessment. For more information, visit our website at www.emergerstrategies.com. Thanks for having me, Rick. It's good to be back on and uh, really appreciate your voice in the fishing community and, and the work that you're doing. And um, ultimately, I think that the, the world of fishing and, and all the, the, the human beings that are so involved in this 
in this great pastime and sport, you know, really have an opportunity to be change makers um, and do something really significant uh, for our oceans, lakes, and rivers. And um, really, my personal story is a lot about being a fisherman. It's a, it's a lot about being just an outdoor person. Um, and, you know, I grew up, you know, my grandfather founded Atlantic in 1946. And, um, but my the grandfather that I remember was actually a fisherman. Um, most people who hear the story of Atlantic hear about my grandfather in his weekly newspaper. And he fought the Ku Klux Klan with that newspaper and won a Pulitzer. And all that happened when he was a really young man. I mean, he won a Pulitzer when he was 32 years old. But, you know, when I was a kid, he was a fisherman. My, my, my grandfather was a writer. He lived in central Florida. Uh, he wrote a lot of articles for Field and Stream and Florida Sportsman. Uh, he spent a lot of time uh, on the Bassmasters tour, uh, wrote a lot of, you know, autobi he actually wrote a lot of autobiographies for, for professional fishermen in Florida at that time. And um, so I'd go down to Florida to visit my grandfather and it was crappy fishing and brim fishing from dark to dark. Um, and so I just sort of grew up around that. My father's a big outdoorsman. So I spent a lot of time in the woods as a kid. I was an Eagle Scout, you know, growing up. Um, and, and then I also grew up at Riceville Beach, North Carolina. So salt water was really the backdrop of my life. Um, and I just always loved the outdoors. You know, I hiked the Appalachian Trail. I lived in the mountains of Utah for several years after college. Um, and most of my identity as a person is as an outdoor person. And interestingly enough, you know, in some of the work we've, we've been doing today, over 50 million people in the United States consider themselves outdoor people. Um, and we're beginning to coin that that demographic as the outdoor state. And our perspective at a New Earth Project is the outdoor state, that 50 million people um, are actually pretty cohesive in the way they feel about things like clean water, clean air, uh, saving wild places. And uh, a lot of what we're trying to do these days is really activate that community, that 50 million people, um, which I, I, I associate with. But so how a new earth project came to be, you know, when I started working at Atlantic selling packaging, my life as an outdoor person really didn't have a whole lot of coordination with my professional life. And I think I was probably caught in that cultural paradigm that a lot of us get stuck in where it's like, now it's time to go to work. It's time to stop playing and it's time to go to work, you know, and work looked a certain way, you know, you wore certain clothes and you spent a certain time in the office. And, you know, and that was the early part of my career. Um, and I always loved Atlantic. I always really enjoyed what we do. We have an incredible culture. I love the people. Um, and I, you know, I was raised by a salesman and, you know, I had a lot of that in me and I've always enjoyed, enjoyed the creating solutions for customers and identifying challenges. And that was a lot of what Atlantic did. Um, but there was also a piece of me as, especially as I got into my mid thirties, that was feeling a little just disillusioned. I, and it, it was sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. It's a family company. I'm growing business. But like, what is the greater purpose? You know, and uh, I've been a spiritual person my whole life. You know, I've been a seeker my whole life. And I think part of what was going on was sort of this. I was trying to reconcile with the the, the soul inside of me that was, you know, looking for purpose. And at one point, I almost left Atlantic. You know, I thought maybe maybe I'm supposed to be doing something else. And um I got an intuitive hit one time that, that maybe that wasn't the right right way to go. And so I just kept focused. And um, as I got a little bit older, I started traveling a lot. 
to surf and fish in my in my pastime. I mean, those were the two things I did the most. I would I did a lot of marlin fishing in the Caribbean and places like the Dominican Republic and the Bahamas. And I was surfing in Central America and even took a trip over to Indonesia. And what I started to witness more and more, you know, from when I was 18 to when I was, you know, 36 was plastic pollution was more and more prevalent. I was seeing it with my own eyes. And when I was in Indonesia on a surf trip uh, about six years ago now, I remember looking around in the most beautiful place I'd ever been in my life, most beautiful island chain, the Mentawa is spectacular. And there's plastic pollution everywhere. And I remember having this realization that a lot of this is packaging, you know, and it's not all packaging that I sell, but it's a supply chain that I'm a part of. And I also had this realization that there was not a lot of people in our industry talking about this, you know, like there was sort of this intentional blind spot that we weren't, that it was really ugly and no one was talking about it. We were just kind of clipping along. And, you know, I felt a little like my grandfather tapping me on the shoulder and said, Hey, Wes, this might be that purpose thing you've been looking for. Mm -hmm. And so uh, sustainability was something that was starting to be talked about more in our industry. And I really, I think my experience as a fisherman and an outdoor person really informed my passion for it. And I started to believe that, you know, the only way to really change the plastic pollution crisis and heal these areas that, you know, we created all this impact was for the supply chain to shift. You know, like beach cleanups are a great thing, but if you don't turn off the tap, you know, we're we're never going to solve these issues. And I also started doing a lot of investigating and came to understand that today human beings put 11 million metric tons of plastic in the ocean every single year. And as ugly as that is, at the rate that we're going, the predictions are by 2030, 2035, that number could be as, as much as 36 million tons annually. So the rate would triple over the next 10 or 12 years. And it's already really bad, you know, and so that's when I said, you know what, Atlantic Packaging has a seat at the table. We're a large packaging company. We service the largest consumer products companies and retail brands in the world. We have a seat at the table. If we start advocating for sustainability, if we start innovating these new products and helping our customers transition away from a lot of these products, maybe we can have a global impact. Maybe we can really have an impact. And that really sparked a passion in me and a drive in me that I'd never felt before. And so finally, um, I was talking about this a lot publicly in our industry on LinkedIn. And a friend of mine said, hey, man, you know, I know you're a surfer, too. And I've always thought that surfing had a cultural significance that um, was understated, that people did not acknowledge the cultural significance of surfing. And if I look at my life since the 1980s, that's very obvious, you know, in, in retrospect. And so he said, have you ever considered the surfing vertical as one to focus on and do some storytelling around sustainability. And I said, that's a great idea, you know? And so it really evolved from there to what if we took our resources and and gave our packaging resources to the outdoor industry specifically, surfing, snowboarding and skiing, fishing, hunting, backpacking, you know, because that outdoor state and those brands they should understand sustainability and know why we're doing this. You know, like it shouldn't be a hard sell in that vertical. And historically, I didn't focus on the outdoor vertical because it was not all that large. But, you know, this was an opportunity to get that industry on board, make these shifts within that industry 
and hopefully create a cultural movement that would influence the greater supply chain. And I coined that initiative, a new earth project. So long answer to your question, but that's the history. <laughs> no, well, I, I love it. And, and, you know, what you're talking about is exactly right. It's like, you know, people who um, are passionate, this outdoor state that you're talking about, about, you know, they want to protect what they love and they punch way above their weight when when it's threatened um, by something. And so uh, a new earth project and Atlantic packaging being part of the solution um, is is something everyone can get behind. And in, in my humble opinion. Um, well, I, and one of the things I love about packaging is it's 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 tangible for people, you know, like my, my premise is to all these brands like you know, packaging, first of all, it's ubiquitous. Like everyone knows packaging and plastic pollution is obvious to human beings. And, you know, like, so like this is a problem that we have a clear line of sight of. Yeah. There is no demographic that's pro-pollution. I haven't found those people yet. They're like <laughs> more pollution. You know? And so, so many of these environmental issues can be a political hand grenade. But my perspective is this one really isn't. And I've mm -hmm. talked to Democrats, I've talked to Republicans, I've talked to independents, and everyone agrees that we should clean up the plastic pollution problem. And sustainability and sustainable packaging is the way to do it. And we need we need enlightened brands to lead this. And I feel like our role at Atlantic is to give them innovative and creative packaging solutions that meet their packaging needs and also acknowledge that, you know, we, we have to value healthy environment. We have to value healthy life that has to have a seat at the table. And we can no longer ignore the impact that we are having as human beings. You know, like those days are in the rearview mirror. We got to get our heads out of the sand. Yeah, you know, and 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 it's I think it's uh, where we are just in the in the life cycle stage of of planet Earth with the number of people on the planet that you know it, it, everyday decisions make an impact, and um, so I think you're right in, in shining a light on that and and helping those those co companies who want to do the right thing for the environment um, and, and providing them a pathway, right? Because that's part of the the obstacle they face of going. And, and and I have had companies actually, you know, you and I have talked about this who who have come to me and said, "Hey, man, like we're <laughs> this is getting serious. Like we we gotta we gotta start designing for circularity to meet regulations. Can you point us in the right direction?" Um, fortunately for me, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm a friend of, uh, of Wes's. So that's, that's an easy transition for, for, for me to make. But that being said, the, the, the point is, is that these companies know that they need to do it. Um, and everyone wants to do it for the right reasons, I think, but they just need the pathway. And I think that's what y'all are providing for them. So I was wondering if you I could think, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, you know, what we are seeing more and more is the awakening is happening, you know, certainly within the outdoor brands. But but beyond that as well, I mean, we have a lot of what I would call enlightened brands that are more traditional, you know, e-commerce, retail, you know, type uh, organizations that are seeing this as well. Um, there's a few factors, um, I think, um, sorry, um, there's a few factors going on. Um, one is you've got a changing just demographic of human beings. So if you look at who you're servicing, who your customers are, you know, the, the under 40 crowd 
is one of the largest demographics in the country, uh, buying demographics. And, you know, if you meet anyone under 40, they all care about the environment like that. That is no longer, um, you know, a debate with young people. Um, they all care. And so if you're a brand and you're looking at your customer base and you've got a, the largest buying demographic in the whole country that cares about one thing universally, like you've got to start to um, create products, materials. you got to acknowledge your packaging uh, when you are marketing and branding and selling to that demographic. So con changing consumer demand uh, around sustainability to me is actually the number one driver of this change. Uh, I think the other one is the problems of plastic pollution, as an example, are so much more visible. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, following along New Earth Project on your phone. I mean, you know, we hear a lot about the ills of social media. However, the, there's a really massive silver lining. I mean, we have global visibility in real time of challenges uh, problems, but it also allows us to collaborate, you know, in a really unique way. Uh, it's made the world a really small place in many ways. And I think when you're talking about creating really transformational solutions for global problems, the ability to communicate visually, globally, in real time is, it cannot be understated. Like, I don't know that we could fix this problem without the, without social media, um, because it, the ability to create a movement is such a big deal. And then, you know, the other piece is brands are looking for creative solutions and they're also looking for solutions that are economical. You know, I say all the time, like, you know, because for the first thing brand says, is, well, we want to be more sustainable, but we're worried it's going to be way too expensive. And my response is, well, if it's way too expensive, it's not very sustainable because no one's going to buy it, you know? And so we do see new technologies come to market that it might be kind of cool but it's just not economically viable. So at Atlantic, one of the roles we feel like we have to play is a clearinghouse for technology. And, you know, we're, we are looking at the total cost, you know, like where can we shave off costs wherever we can to be able to implement these new material solutions. But, you know, like most things in, in our world, technology wins, innovation wins. But what we're trying to do is say we are going to innovate in the direction of life. We're not going to just innovate for the sake of innovation. Cost and convenience are no longer going to be the only two things we're acknowledging. Cost is important. We want things to be convenient and easy for consumers. But healthy life has a prominent seat at the table going forward in everything that we're doing. And I think that's true of pretty much everything in our world these days. You know, whether it's food, whether it's, you know, building products, whether it's packaging, you know, everything has to acknowledge that without healthy life, we got nothing. That's right. And 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 it's acknowledging, you know, the, the external costs of some of the things that historically are not accounted for. You know, I'm just saying, you know, we we value life, uh, healthy life as is as you're describing it. And and that's something that now is going to be in consideration in line with that with the economic cost of this product that, that, that we have to start accounting for. Um, which I think is, if every company did this, you know, it, it would be uh, alarming probably uh, to a lot of them. But the fact that Atlantic pack packaging is providing solutions that are ready uh, is is the difference, right? Because it's it's the feeling of okay, we acknowledge there's a problem. I don't know what to do about it. 
and 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 the having the solution and being able to provide them with that is is huge because you have problem you know problem solved right um well you know it, it is it is a big investment for us as an organization a lot of these solutions that we're bringing to market may take us two or three years of a lot of investment and a lot of r d before we even have a prototype that's viable you know so it is a uh, it is a strategic business decision for our organization to invest this much time and energy in these things. But there's also, you know, an economic benefit to us. If we create something that's revolutionary, that really addresses a specific problem, you know, hey, that's business 101, you know, like create innovative products that address a solution to grow your business. So um, I actually see sustainability, not just in packaging, but sustainability sort of across our world as a, an amazing catalyst for innovative companies. And, you know, it, it, looking at the fishing space, I mean, if if anyone wants to be innovative, it's the people making fishing gear, you know, like I want to have the latest and greatest lure that, you know, attracts more fish and gets more bites. Yeah. Um, and so like, there's a, there's a baked in innovative spirit within fishing that um, I think makes what we're doing seem pretty obvious to those brands. Yeah, and and I don't know, Wes, if if we can share this, but I've um, you shared some innovative prototypes of of some packaging solutions, um, and I don't know, can can we talk about some of that? Yeah. Is that yeah, okay? Um, you know, so Wes and I email and text crazy ideas to each other, and um, occasionally. Uh, Wes goes, hey, I remember what we were talking about. Check this out. And it's like, blows my mind. I'm like, yes, like, yes, this is it. Um, and so one of these is, and I'll let you describe it, but it, it, it eliminates the uh, plastic packaging. Uh, the the Is it the blister wrap? Is that what it eliminates? Blister packaging. Yeah. yeah. So when, when, when we are, you know, a lot of times people ask me, well, like, how, how are you identifying what products need to be innovated? And plastic is so ubiquitous and it's used in so many different areas. And, you know, what I tell people first is like, we don't have a war on plastic. There's certain parts of our world where plastic is revolutionary it makes a lot of sense i mean the the screen that i'm talking to you on has plastic in it this mouse has plastic in it you know and but these are not single use items you know these are items that are used for years and years and years and so um but where we really see the the problems are this single use plastic it's used one time and then discarded and most of these materials don't break down in the environment they can be around for hundreds or even a thousand years and I think any, you know, anybody with common sense can say that doesn't make any sense. So what we've tried to do is identify those single use plastic items that are the most likely to leak in the environment. So single use plastic that's most likely to leak into the environment is what we call consumer destined single use plastic. So when you look at when you go into a tackle shop and I go into a tackle shop once a week, you probably go in more than that. But the one thing I see a lot of is these blister packs. So yeah. you've got a paperboard card, a printed card, and then you've got a plastic molded blister that is glued to that card. And it may have a lure in it. It may have hooks in it. It may have weights in it. It may have a cork in it. Um, that's a really common product. Well, as we all know, if you go to the tackle store in the morning, you're getting ready to go fishing. A lot of us just throw all that stuff in our tackle box, or maybe we put it in a paper bag and hop on our boat. And so you're opening those things on your boat out there in the elements. And, you know, me included, 
I have watched those things fly out of my boat. I know we all have. It just happens, you know, and every one of those that flies out of your boat is going to be in that marsh. You know, your 10th great grandchildren, you know, are going to be alive and that that thing's still going to be in the marsh. And so to me, that's just unacceptable. So what we said is we need to develop a, a product that would be more sustainable in that uh, application. Uh, we came across a company, a small company out of the Midwest uh, that was replacing plastic blisters with molded paper uh, in a really innovative and creative way that was really uh, appealing to the consumers. It really pops on the shelf. Um, and it was it was so intriguing that we actually acquired this company uh, several months ago. Um, and so now we and we're in the manufacturing business. We have a printing operation in North Carolina where we can do real high end printing. We've invested in some molding equipment. But um, this product is called paper form. And we basically take the same card. You know, you still have your printed card uh, that you would normally have. But instead of a plastic blister, it's a molded paperboard blister. So we impregnate the paper with water, moisturize the paper, and then we mold it. Uh, in the same configuration as the traditional plastic blisters. We can do all kinds of windows and things like that. So you can see and touch the product if you still need to, because that's important to a lot of customers. So we've overcome some of the visibility um, concerns and um, and it really looks awesome on the shelf. Um, there's a lot of products that are already being utilized, everything from multi-packs of toothpaste to chapstick. And we're working on a lot of other products uh, around cosmetics and things like that as well. So. I'm super stoked about that. Um, it would give our fishing customers uh, and the and the you know initial and inevitably the consumers a fully paperboard curbside recyclable package for lures and hooks and corks and whatever else it may be. And on the off chance it does fly out of your boat, it's made out of paper, so no it's going to break down in six weeks, eight weeks. You know, we don't want to litter the marshes with paper either, but, you know, uh, when it's made from a, an organic, natural substrate, um, you know, Mother Nature will close the loop for us. So that, to me, is one of the coolest innovations we've come to market with in a long time. And I'm really stoked to get people in the fishing world um, exposed to, to this product. And well, as am I. And, and And back to what you were saying earlier, you know, that flies out. Well, that goes into... Back, back to the healthy life, right? And saying, well, if this doesn't harm fish that may ingest this, and therefore we ingest and live unhealthier lives as a result of this, it's problem solved. I mean, there, there's just there's just nothing better than being able to say that, right? It's going, all right, problem solved. We got it figured out. Um, well, but- what, I, what I like about a product like this, and one of the things we're always focused on too, I don't just want a product a product that's more sustainable. I want one that's cool too. Right. You know, like right. I want right. when, when when the companies that we're doing this for go, oh man, because when this is on the shelf at a tackle shop, and you're walking through there, you will identify it. You'll go, that company is doing this because they're trying to get away from single use plastic. It's real obvious, yeah. and to me. I think that can be additive to people's, you know, top line. I mean, I think you're going to increase sales because if you walk into a tackle shop and there's two lures sitting side by side and one's in a traditional plastic blister and one's in this paper form blister, I think a lot of people are going to choose the paper form just because they're like, this company is obviously more innovative and they're focused on sustainability. Um, and, and I believe the fishing community more and more is, is looking for those type of solutions. I know I am. 
Yeah, I, and I am too. I mean, those are the, the the types of considerations that that go through my mind when I'm when I'm shopping, and 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 I think to a lot of other anglers. And what? Um, but on on that note, because we're talking, you know, we, we talked about some kind of some trends, right? The, if you're under forty, you know, you're looking for this stuff for sure. Um, that that's part of your sort of buying decision making process. Um, but where do you see? sustainable packaging or more sustainable packaging um, heading in the next few years and maybe any challenges or opportunities there? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest trend that we're seeing in our, um, well, in this country and around the world is legislation called EPR, Mm -hmm. um, which stands for Extended Producer Responsibility. And EPR has been around a long time in Europe. Uh, they've got EPR all over Canada, Australia. It's relatively new to this country, uh, at least in packaging. Now, we've had EPR for things like batteries and carpet and paint, you know, all, all these more, you know, items that you just can't throw in the garbage can. Um, but basically what EPR says is we are no longer going to um, say that consumers are solely responsible for the cost of disposing of these products and creating circularity that if it's the, the packaging circularity is going to go back to the brands. Mm-hmm. So if you are a brand that utilizes certain types of packaging, it's going to be your responsibility to make sure that the recycling rates for whatever packaging you're using are at a certain level. Um, and so the the most there's a, several EPR laws that have passed in the United States. The most significant one is in California, which is a big deal for fishing community. The entire you know, well, California's not the whole West Coast, but it's damn close, you know. And that whole state, that whole state has a very significant EPR law that has already passed. Uh, the the law is called SB 54, Senate Bill 54, and all of the fee structures for how they're going to put fees on packaging are all being negotiated this year in 2024. And this will really go into effect in 25, 26. But basically, different types of packaging in the state of California will be taxed where fee, there'll be fees applied to those depending on how problematic it is for recycling. So the more problematic it is, like single-use plastic are going to carry really high fees. So it's going to get a lot more expensive to utilize single-use plastic. All those fees that are collected by the state then go into investing in upgrading recycling infrastructure, creating you know more access in the inner cities and things like that. So the, the, the long-term hope is you do two things. You know, these fees on problematic packaging encourage brands to migrate away from those problematic, you know, versions into more sustainable versions. So as an example, like single use plastic may have a lot of fee structure on it. Paper packaging would be a lot lower, you know, because paper is a lot more circular today. And so you're, you're trying to drive brands to make decisions that are more sustainable because it's it's more economically viable now. And then for the brands that don't don't make those moves, you're collecting fees to help upgrade recycling. But the the SB 54 law in California basically says, if you don't reach a 65% recycling rate for whatever material it is by 2032, then those products are banned in the state. Hmm. Um, And so there are a lot of items, like we talk about blister packs, the likelihood that blisters become 65% recycling rate in the state of California is super low. I mean, I can't, I really don't, see any scenario where that happens. Um, 
And so it will force brands to move in a different direction. And so, um, like I said, some of this stuff is still, you know, five, six, seven years off before the hammer really falls. Um, but now's the time to start really evaluating that, that packaging. And, you know, Europe is, is I know a lot of the brands that you work with, uh, Europe's a good market for them or a significant market for them. Europe is further ahead of us. You know, they're banning things like EPS, you know, traditional white styrofoam, EPS and EPE foam. Those bans are happening actively now. Products like PVC have been banned in a lot of areas. And so the legislation affecting packaging is just getting started and it's going to be really profound in the last or in the next five to seven years. You've also got the United Nations right now that is negotiating a global plastics treaty um, that, you know, the, 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 the hope is that a lot of countries all over the world sign up for like sort of collective action around plastic pollution. Um, so there's a lot going on in that world. Well, I think the, you know, what, what, what I'm hearing anyway is, you know, there, there, there is consumers want it. Regulation is going to force those who don't want it. If you get in early, you have, a first mover advantage, right? To to attract that 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 customer um, who's looking for the environmental prefer preferably brand, preferable brand or packaging and and things of that. But um, you know, some some folks that listen to this podcast, you know, we we talk. I was so blown away by the by the blister pack thing. It was just to your point. Yes, I, I'm guilty of it. Okay, I have opened up lures and everything else on a boat and it has flown out by accident. It's lost. It's gone. Nothing I can do about it. But I I wanted to, to uh, see if you would also share, because this is really cool, right? It's one thing to talk about. It. It's another thing to see it uh, in work uh, or, or working in, in real time. Um, can you tell us more about what has worked well in the surfing industry? I'm thinking of the 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 surfboard packaging and, sure. and and I mean and that stuff is is rolling. I mean it it is happening. Yeah. So I mean when we first approached the surfing industry, and like I said, I mean the surfing vertical for packaging is not a tremendous packaging vertical. I mean it's you know in the grand scheme of Atlantic, I probably would have never paid attention to the surfing vertical, but it was such a cool way to tell stories yeah. um and to really create some inspiration. So what we, you know, and and believe it or not, I mean, for, for people who aren't surfers, I mean, my whole life, I never bought a surfboard that I didn't buy from a surf shop. You know, you go to a surf shop, you buy one off the shelf, or if you're a little better, maybe you get, you know, you order one with your custom dims and all that. But like more and more people are ordering surfboards that are being shipped to their house, me included. I mean, um, you know, there's a place in North Carolina called Real Water Sports that ships tons of boards all over the country. And um, and that's true, you know, across the board. And so um, the the way that surfboards were being packaged was a lot of bubble wrap, a lot of polypropylene tape, uh, typically a lot of foam a lot of corrugated. It was not very attractive. It took, you know, a long time to pack. Didn't actually protect the boards all that well. It was kind of a disaster when it got to your house. Um, you know, lots of times there would be four or five different types of single-use plastic just to get one surfboard shipped. And so we said, you know, what if we tried to come up with a plastic-free, uh, fully curbside recyclable, turnkey surfboard shipping system 
um, and will address more than just sustainability. Like we want it to be plastic free, but we also want it to be attractive. We want the consumer when they open this for it really to showcase the surfboard. And we want it to be easier to pack. Because right now it's taking these guys, these shapers, 20, 25 minutes to pack one board. It's not efficient. You know, and so we wanted to look at that. And then we also knew that, you know, surfboard's a big item and UPS and FedEx really, they're charging these days on dimensional weight, not the actual weight of the product, but how large it is. That There's a formula for creating a dimensional weight. And so the smaller you can, the smaller the shipping container, uh, the lower the, the freight rates are. So we took all that into account. And we came up with, it took us about six months of a lot of trial and error, and we utilized a lot of different products. Um, but we ultimately came up with a solution that we called the S3. Um, and it, it it creates a suspension pack where basically the surfboard is floating in the box uh, with the rails being captured by another piece of, uh, of fiber uh, reinforcement um, suspension wrap. And um, and so anyway, we created this product. We worked really closely with John Pazel out of Hawaii, who's a, a big time shaper and shapes boards for a lot of a lot of the pros. And um, and we filmed the whole thing. You know, we filmed everything from going to Hawaii and meeting with John the first time to everything we did at our Charlotte, North Carolina based solution center and creating all this, all, you know, all the trial and error that went into it. Uh, and then we ship surfboards to a lot of these pro surfers once we had the solution and we filmed them unboxing it. And, um, and, and so, and then from there, we really worked in trying to, you know, uh, present this uh, new shipping solution to a lot of other shapers. And we've really started to create quite a movement within that, uh, within that vertical where today we've probably got six or seven of the top 10 shapers utilizing our system. Um, you know, companies like Firewire, which is one of the largest in the world, um, just signed up and, and, and started shipping boards with our solution here recently. Um, companies like Stewart, uh, Rusty, um, of course, John Pazell still utilizing our system, uh, Sharpie, many others, um, if you're a surfer that you would know. And so, um, we're really stoked, you know, it's, it's worked out really well and it's been a great way to tell a story about what can be done. And I tell people all the time, I mean, a surfboard on some level is just a widget. If we can do it for a surfboard, we can do it for anything, right. you know? And, uh, and that's really my message, um, is, you know, th there is a real opportunity to make significant change and it can be great for consumers. It can be additive for brands. And it can be great for for the environment. You know, this is a problem we can solve, and the the surfboard packaging was a way to illustrate that. Well, I don't know that I could choose a, a better high note to maybe wrap with than um, there are sustainable packaging solutions available. If they're not available, I happen to know that Atlanta Packaging has an innovation center where they're testing and, and doing all sorts of uh, creative ways to, to find the right solution. Um, so I would encourage if you are in the fishing industry or, uh, or, or involved with the brand, um, feel free to reach me directly. Um, I can get you in touch with, with the folks at Atlantic um, visit their website. If anyone wants to dive in there, Wes, where can people find some more of these uh, solutions that they can check them out? 
Right. So our, our website is AtlanticPKG.com, and we've also got uh, a newearthproject.com. So if you go to a newearthproject.com, we have a shop uh, on that website that's got all of our sustainable um, all, you know, alternatives. Um, and, and it's not all just custom packaging. A lot of it's like you know, sustainable curbside recyclable mailers if you're shipping apparel. Um, we've got all different types of protective packaging to replace things like bubble wrap and air pillows that's common to kind of any brand, you know. And then we've got a lot of custom solutions as well. Uh, we just released the first ever fully sustainable curbside recyclable uh, shipping cooler for shipping frozen food, whether it's awesome. fish or steak or anything else. And uh, we're super stoked on that. The crew's cool. Uh, that's on there as well. And you can learn more about a new earth project and and, and see some really cool uh, videos and storytelling uh, of the last few years. But yeah, a new earth project.com, Atlantic PKG.com. And then we're pretty active on social media. So uh, at a new earth project on Instagram, you can also find us on LinkedIn and, um, and yeah, to your point, I mean, we, we really believe that Atlantic's role going forward is to activate the innovators. And there's a lot of innovation happening in our industry. Uh, everything from mushroom-based packaging to hemp-based packaging to even packaging made from seaweed. Um, and so, I mean, we think it's a really exciting time to be a part of our industry. And um, I would just encourage any brands uh, in fishing that are listening to like, hey, be leaders. This is a really, this is a great way for you to separate yourself from your competitors and show your customers that you're committed to clean waters, you know, and, um, that, that's my great hope, you know, that, that we can all, you know, focus our attention on like clean air and clean water is is something that we can all agree that we need in this world. And we have the power to to, to, to usher in that, usher in that, that, that more beautiful world that we know is possible. And, uh, and I believe this is the way we do it. Well, I love it, Wes. Um, I always walk away uh, inspired after we chat. So thanks for for my, my morning dose of inspiration. And uh, thanks for y'all's support of the Sustainable Angler. I sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, man, thank you, Rick. Your voice is a really important one in the community and I appreciate the forum. And I'm really excited to continue to collaborate with you and, and this whole community. And um, like I said, activating the outdoor state is, is the way. So thank you for the opportunity and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Angler. A special thanks to Wes and the team over at A New Earth Project in Atlantic Packaging uh, for all they're doing to protect what we all love. Um, if you like what you are hearing on the podcast, if you could, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, this helps to grow the Sustainable Anglers audience so that hopefully we can continue to educate and inspire more anglers to protect the planet. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.